Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to this week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, August 11th, and this week, new features come to Chicago. Lyft wants to drop the surge pricing, and Seattle fights deactivations. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And of course, from Legal Rights Here, I'm joined by the co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Greening. Brian, happy Friday. Happy Friday. Can't believe we're back again already. I know. It's, you know, we, we had a, we did it Thursday a week or two ago, and now it's it's next Friday. It's just, these never end. They never end. They keep going. And the, I know, and the summer's flying by here. It's, it's like we're almost out of this. I know. August, mid-August. Unbelievable. Um, but we're going to get, let's get right into it. We're going to hit off with Monday. Turns out some driver groups aren't pro-driver at all. And this is from Fast Company. They reported that in Massachusetts, two coalitions, uh, each claiming to represent the real voice of rideshare drivers, but have sharply different funders, released dueling ballot initiatives this week, which really decides the rights of Uber and Lyft drivers. Now, for one of them, what may not be immediately obvious to voters is that the group is bankrolled by tens of millions of dollars from the gig, uh, gig companies. It's a reboot, a reboot of their failed ballot initiative in 2022, a similar proposal that was struck down by the state's high court for confusing voters with murky language. So I believe, I could be wrong here, Brian, but it sounds like astroturfing, right? Isn't that what this is? Yeah, this is, it's not unusual at all for the gig companies to insert themselves in local and state politics. And we've seen this in Chicago. Um, that's what happened in California when they were, um, trying to pass Prop 22 to replace AB5. Um, and the way that they do this is they couch themselves as uh, related to the driver and they try to promote their view of the law and what they want to be done to the passengers. And they say, you know, follow this, uh, this initiative because this is going to uh, allow for cheaper rides, better driver pay, better experiences for everybody in the rideshare community. And then the passengers are motivated to get out and vote, thinking that they're helping the driver when in actuality they're not. Um, so, you know, over and over, we see that these gig companies are just masters at propaganda and they've really tricked people into following the path that they want um, and uh, ultimately saving themselves billions of dollars uh, along the way. I just can't believe it's legal that they're able to do that. Um, and, I, and I'm assuming they have to disclose somewhere in fine print that, hey, it's funded by so-and-so, which really is funded by so-and-so. But, yeah, just like you said, we hear about this a lot, in, especially with the passengers that are going to vote. We, you can't assume that they're as versed in what's happening in the gig world as we are. They're not at all. They're just passengers. And, you know, the gig companies know this. And it's really – I mean, it's just a cheap shot. Um, and, and it's – you know, once – I think once – they, uh, you know, initially launched Prop 22. It sort of became an ignition for the gig companies to go, okay, we can literally use our money to not just bankroll the industry, but to bankroll politics. Just crazy stuff. Yeah, we actually saw this recently in Chicago when there were uh, safety bills that were, you know, being considered. Uh, we got the passengers got emails, myself included, saying, hey you need to vote against this measure because it's a it's a fair hike 
in, uh, disguised as a safety bill. Well, that was not true. It was a safety bill overtly being a safety bill. And they were just trying to make sure that passengers voted against it. Um, luckily, that measure, it seems to be uh, on its way to passing in the Illinois uh, legislature. And I think it will become law shortly. Um, but it, it is just over and over. We see these companies trying to ch- trick the audience into voting their way. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Um, I don't think it's going to get better. Maybe it will. I guess I guess time will tell. Uh, let's head off into Tuesday. And we already know this. We've talked about this a few times already in the past. Drivers, drivers are really struggling for wins on the state level. Now, this is from Bloomberg Law. They reported uh, in Colorado, a bill that died in the committee would have required companies to provide drivers and riders detailed information about ride fees and how much drivers are paid. In Connecticut, lawmakers considered a measure mandating pay rates for drivers, but that stalled after first being reduced uh, to a task force. In cases where companies or compromise seems challenging, even staunchly pro-labor Democrats might be reluctant to pass legislation without direct buy-ins from the likes of Uber and Lyft. Um, so, I mean, we've talked about this plenty uh, on this show where it, we, it looks like they almost got it and then they didn't. And we've been seeing this week after week, month after month. And apparently we're not the only ones paying attention that literally this article was written saying, yeah, we're seeing it. You know, these drivers keep hitting walls. Yeah, and the drivers are, first of all, we have to give credit with credit to do. These drivers are fighting really hard and they're working their, their way through the state uh, houses to try to get measures that benefit them in terms of security, in terms of pay, in terms of uh, labor rights. Um, but they do keep hitting walls when it comes to the final passage, whether that is getting it passed uh, you know, in the legislature or getting the governor's signature on the bill. Um, you know, we just saw this in Colorado when we were talking to Steve over at Rideshare Rodeo. Um, something similar happened over there. Um, so what we need to do is educate the, the highest levels of government as to the facts that, one, the drivers need these protections. Two, people are not making a living wage and, and need some sort of floor. And three, that the gig companies are not going to get up and, and leave town like they threaten to do. In the places where these bills have passed, like in Washington, Uber and Lyft are still uh, there. They're still thriving. There's still rides available at a reasonable price for passengers. So these threats are empty, and we need to make the the, um, government entity see that so that workers can get the benefits and protections that they need. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up um, Washington because the article actually brought up, you know, it talked about sort of the the article talked about, hey, they're stalling here, this failed here, but it did also mention about specifically Washington and the success they had. And it really boiled down to two things that uh, this the writer said that's why it's stopping other places versus uh, you know Seattle and Washington in general. One was not heavy labels on things to scare away the, you know the companies or the lawmakers. And the second was just sort of an uh, an open dialogue between the, the Uber reps, legislators, and the drivers. There seemed to be no disconnect and, and open communication between, say, the driver community saying, "Okay, fine, we don't call us employees, but you know, we really we're, this is what we're interested in," and literally having a true open discussion with Uber and Uber reps saying, "Okay, that doesn't really affect us negatively. We're interested. Okay, let's make an agreement on it." Um, and apparently right. that's not happening in other states. It's really like drivers are saying we want X, 
Uber's saying, no, they want Y, and they're not talking to each other, and they're just going to the news, and then nothing gets done. Right. Well, th- what we're seeing is Uber and Lyft and all the others need the independent contractor status. Their entire business model uh, relies on the drivers being independent and not employees. We've talked time and time again about the fact that a third type of worker is, is needed, a ter- third type of classification. The traditional labels of independent contractor and employee don't fit neatly into this space. So maybe with a dialogue between the gig companies, the workers and the legislatures, we can come up with that middle ground that serves everybody's interests. Yeah, exactly. And that's why this article is great. And hopefully, you know, these drivers get some insight on this and and can get some stuff passed. Let's head off into Wednesday. There are new safety features for uh, riders and drivers in Chicago. Fox 32 reported Uber is expanding its in-app safety features for Chicago drivers and riders. This is starting this Wednesday, the rideshare company announced. So it's already in 150 cities so far, as we've already discussed in the past. Um, They also mentioned, again, the recording will remain private, uh, not even accessible to the company unless a driver or rider submits a safety report to Uber uh, and attaches the file. Now, my question about this is interesting, Brian. Could this be you? Can they use this for, for false deactivation claims? Is anyone talking about that? You know, I, that's not, certainly the companies are not talking about that as a, as a use for it, but it's definitely a viable option and it should be used. Um, we are fans of recording inside the, the rideshare car. It, it is a, a important safety tool. I want to, you know, we often talk negatively about what rideshare companies are doing to protect people. This is an instance in which they're doing the right thing and, and we're happy to, to talk about it. We're happy to report on it. Um, But there's a lot of other uses. And when it comes to fairness and labor practices, we want Uber, Lyft and all the others to use the tools that they have available to them, the information that they have available to them to keep drivers that deserve to be on the platform working and, and, and able to accept rides and deliveries. So if there's a recording and there's a dispute as to whether a driver did something or said something um, that, you know, could warrant them getting removed from the platform, we should use that recording because due process and fairness and, you know, just labor, uh, labor rights in general, like we, we have to support the drivers in those uh, and the initiative to, to be able to continue to work and continue to thrive. Right. And I'm going to, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays into future issues and incidents down the road. I'm sure we'll see articles or stories about, how this this could have been a make or break situation. I'm sure it's going to happen. So um, certainly, you know, wait for basically wait for that to happen. But it'll be interesting to see if it works the way it's supposed to. Uh, let's head off into Thursday. Lyft wants to kill surge pricing. This is from Ten, uh, TechCrunch. They reported, quote, Lyft appears to not only be trying to keep prices competitive with Uber. It's also working to kill off surge pricing or what they call prime time. So during their earning call, Reiser said that surge pricing might work to incentivize, incentivize more drivers during peak service, but it also acts as a demand suppressor when riders don't want to pay extra fees. Um, this, is, this is interesting because I think, you know, surge pricing is something that drivers like ultimately. Yeah, uh, you know, surge pricing has always been part of rideshare, and, and it certainly I, I understand the argument for getting rid of it when you're trying to compete with Uber, who's been consistently cheaper over the past uh, year plus than than Lyft. Um, but ultimately, it's I do think it's a bad thing for drivers on the platform because that's where they make 
a lot of their money is when demand is high and, and people are willing to pay more. I think if you're going to get rid of surge pricing, you need to find a way to ensure that drivers have access to livable wages, meaning perhaps there needs to be a higher um, base rate so that drivers know that they're going to earn a certain level every time they get out on the road. Um, so, you know, surge price, no surge price, you know, I guess that's a company decision, but there needs to be a way to level the earning playing field out so that drivers aren't earning less. Because I can tell you, if drivers start earning significantly less on Lyft than they do on Uber, Lyft's going to have much bigger problems um, in terms of a lack of a workforce. No, and that and that brings up a good point and, and kind of a devil's advocate here. Um, and I and, and I love to hear from drivers on this. You know, a lot of times we hear that the drivers aren't really getting paid fairly to begin with, and I'm not sure if drivers are really having a huge bump with surge pricing. I could be wrong. I'm, I'd love to hear. But there is a devil's advocate side here that let's say they do drop surge pricing and then riders really start going to the lift side of the app. And if the driver pay isn't decreasing, the, the quantity might increase. They technically might be able to make more money, at least short term, if riders start going to lift and drivers start getting more lift rides. I mean, Absolutely. It's a long it, shot, but, you know. Well, if it levels out that way, then then great. Everybody wins. But I think what's probably well, at least more passengers start going to Lyft, but drivers are earning less. So drivers start driving more for Uber. <laughs> right. And then we've got a situation where there's a lot of ride requests and not enough drivers. So all of a sudden demand is higher than supply and what's going to happen to prices there anyway. Like it, it seems like it might be the long way home to the same outcome. Right. Just it might eat itself basically. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we're going to see if they do it. I'm sure we'll be reporting on it. I will head off into Friday. Uh, some good news for drivers in Seattle. Seattle drivers get protections against deactivations. This is from KIRO7. They reported the bill is labeled as CB12580. Uh, it changes how companies such as DoorDash, Grubhub, and Instacart can deactivate their gig workers as it now requires a 14-day notice of an impending deactivation, except in the case of a really serious mix, misconduct. Uh, there are also a few other requirements as well. Um, they said app-based work is work. It is done by human beings who deserve a stable work environment. Their livelihood should not hinge on the decisions of an algorithm. Uh, Herbold said in a uh, council statement after the bill passed 6-2, to two, this law, the first of its kind in the nation, will protect app-based workers from any type of arbitrary deactivation and give them meaningful recourse to appeal to a human if they are deactivated. I feel like this is a really big deal and another big win for Seattle drivers. This really is. It's a huge deal. And I couldn't agree more with the quote that you just read about the fact that these are human beings and it, it should not be arbitrary. There needs to be um, information that is passed to the driver as to why they're being deactivated. There needs to be an opportunity to appeal it. There needs to be due process. Um, and I really love this warning that they're giving drivers that um, deactivation is pending because one, it gives them the opportunity to try to you know, change that decision. And two, it gives them at least some notice so that they can try to find it. In a lot of other communities, drivers are just kicked off the app with no notice, a flick of a switch. And when they're used to making X number of dollars a day to put food on the table, when that when the faucet's turned off, they're left unable to survive. So this this warning period is really crucial. Um, 
I love what they're doing out west. I think that it it needs to catch on nationwide, and, and this certainly can be a template for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to hear so many stories about deactivations, and so and so have you. Uh, but the 14 day thing is a really, I think that's a really big deal because a lot of times I would hear from drivers that said they would get a message basically saying, you know, if you do this again, you're off the platform. They don't even know what this is. So like, I don't even know what I did wrong the first time. And by tomorrow I'm going to get, I was deactivated. I didn't even, I didn't even know what what I did. So how could I fix what I didn't know I did? Um, Right. It's just, it's so unfair. And, And that's, that's ultimately what this is addressing. Yeah, exactly. So this is great. I agree. I really hope this starts to make its way across the country. It needs to happen. Bare minimum here. Uh, but that is, that's what we have this week. But I'm going to give you the floor, Brian, uh, before we head off into the weekend. Yeah, as we head into the weekend, I, I always just like to remind people that we are available for free consultations. Um, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. You can contact us at LegalRideShare.com has all of our uh, contact information. If you email help at legalrideshare.com, it will get right to me. Um, Please do not hesitate um, for a free consultation should any accident or injury arise. Awesome. And yeah, drivers, gig workers, if you have anything we want to talk about, if any stories you want to tell me, uh, hit me up, jared at legalrideshare.com. You can also just go to the site, legalrideshare.com, and and hit up the contact. Uh, I'll get it. We'll talk about it. Uh, As I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.